Good morning and welcome to the Saturday morning show because it's a rather unusual Saturday morning show for some of us this week. But I'm joined by Max Armstrong who is a regular on the show and, uh, hello Max. Good morning, sir. It's a privilege to be alongside you. I'm thinking back over the years. I, there haven't been many times when you and I have had the opportunity to converse one-on-one on the Saturday morning show broadcast. Generally, one or the other has handled the show alone. And certainly since the COVID-19 thing has been with us, we've worked from different locations. I've often had listeners, as Max say, where are you guys when you do this show? Well, we're in different parts of the country, thanks to technology, because that has changed probably as much as anything else that I've been broadcasting for 60 years, because when I started at WGN back in 1960, I was introduced as the new farm director at WGN, and we were broadcasting from a field in central Illinois, near Gibson City in Anchor, Illinois, the M&W Farm Power Show, and we took the barn dance there, and we took some of our other musicians to that, and it took a truckload of equipment and three engineers to do that broadcast from a cornfield in central Illinois, and my, what a change, Max, you and I have seen in the technology of what we do. I'm joining you this morning from North Carolina. I'm not too far out of Raleigh. And uh, I listened to the broadcast uh, coming across the powerful skyway from the WGN signal. Uh, most Saturday mornings I can catch the broadcast down here, and especially in the winter time under uh, clear conditions. But, yes, the technology has advanced so much. You know, for many of our reports, we were in downtown Chicago and uh, right in the Tribune Tower. And uh, there was a time when you and I were doing 192 broadcasts a week. If you combined... The broadcast from WGN Radio with those of the Tribune Radio Network feeding stations across the country. There were 192 reports a week. We were busy boys. I was going to say we pretty well covered the country, and I'll remember in my early days at WGN, I would get mail from sailors on ships at sea. I would get mail from Canada. I would get mail from just about every state in the country. And uh, today we can still reach out, but we used to have to do it all by telephone lines. And today I'm looking at a box that I can hold in my hand that we call a Comrex that allows you to talk from North Carolina, allows me to talk from my home in Huntley, Illinois. And uh, I would say, beyond the technology of agriculture, technology of communications and broadcasting has really been lively during the time you and I have been working together. And we advanced right along with the farmers. Uh, one thing that, that comes to mind, back in the 80s, when the very first cellular telephones came out in the Chicago region, I was staying in contact with some of my farmer friends as they were getting their cell phones. And I said, uh, how many of you have them now? And then we started to see that saturation, especially through northern Illinois, northern Indiana, southern Wisconsin. That's when we started taking calls from farmers in the combines, in the tractor cabs. There was a guy uh, called me from north of Green Bay. He was harvesting sugar beets. Uh, we had a guy on a grape harvester in western Michigan call in. It was a wide expanse of the heartland where farmers were using the cell phone technology for the first time. Prior to that, they were pretty much confined to CB radios in the cab or two-way radios, which are still used today. 
And I think uh, those combine calls that we did with farmers who were harvesting their grain have uh, been around forever because, and became very popular. I had so many people say it was really fun to be able to listen to people in combine cabs in Iowa and in South Dakota, and I would be combining a field in Illinois. So it's been fun to be able to do that. And then we finally took the noon show to England, broadcast live from the Royal Agriculture Show in England, near where William Shakespeare did his work, and uh, were able to do it with clarity and uh, with people able to hear it uh, anywhere they were listening. So we've I've enjoyed particularly the technology and broadcasting, and then when we see what it's done to television coverage, the ability to uh, go out to uh, events like Ohio Farm Science Review and Farm Progress Show and Wisconsin Farm Technology Days, it's been quite a ride. And I'll tell you, Max, frankly, I've mentioned this before, but I'm so tired of virtual at this point, the virtual coverage of this and that. As a matter of fact, we haven't spent time talking about what Farm Progress Show was like this year because I wasn't there, but you were. How different was it? Well, there wasn't much of a show other than the equipment moving in the field. We captured that on video, the Farm Progress virtual experience, and all of those videos live online at farmprogressshow.com. But I recorded equipment descriptions for 99 pieces of equipment that were operating at the field either at Boone, Iowa, or at Grand Island, Nebraska. So farmers can still see all of that equipment moving, and others can see it, too, as we describe those machines from the Farm Progress Virtual Experience, it's called. We're, we're hoping to be able to have farm shows in the year ahead. They announced the Louisville show the other day. They're still planning to hold it, but they've moved it back. It'll be an event at the end of March and the beginning of April, but I think many are still questioning whether it will even be possible to hold that show in that Adjusted time schedule uh, coming up that quickly in the new year. Because the tractor pull is such an important part of that pull besides the, uh, of that event besides the machinery. Well, inside, uh, in that show too, in normal times, it's wall to wall bodies. You're in a confined space. They have uh, exhibitors all through there and truly, you know, it's, it's elbow to elbow in some places in that exhibit area at the Louisville Farm Show. So I think many people are saying, wait a minute, they'll have to move some of it outside, which maybe they can six weeks later than normal. You have to remember it's going to be a little bit warmer in Louisville by the end of March and beginning of April. But the other thing you have to remember is many farmers are going to be in the field or very close to it by that time. As producers continue to ratchet forward the planting of their crops, trying to plant soybeans especially earlier and earlier because the yields are coming about through earlier planting. And that is an important part of the agricultural community. The earlier you can get the soybeans in the ground or the corn in the ground, better chance you have for some great yields. Although, Max, I don't know how much bigger it can get than, what, the 346 bushels per <laughs> acre in the corn growers contest this year? There are some amazing yields in the corn growers competition every year, and some people say, well, that's out of touch with reality. But the reality is yields have been climbing, too, fortunately, and so have the markets. They've been, been advancing here, of course, in recent weeks. I would be remiss if, if we didn't talk just a little bit, Orient, about our advertisers through the years that have made it possible for us to do what we've done. And 
That's a long list of companies that have been there with us. And uh, without them spending the money, buying the advertising on this radio station, we wouldn't be able to, to be here. And it's it's companies like BASF and, uh, oh, my goodness, you know, you go down the list. Back in the days, A.O. Smith Harvest Store, ADM, of course, a, a part of what we've done for many, many years. Case IH, before that, International Harvester, as you were their voice, and, and for a period of time, Deer and Company as well. Also, we uh, we handled some of their spots. We've had all the big names in agricultural technology and engineering and production, and yes, you're absolutely right. Without them, we probably wouldn't be here doing what we're doing today. Tell you what, we'll take a break for some of those sponsors to hear from them, and uh, then let's continue this conversation when we come back here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're back with the Saturday Morning Show here on WGN Radio, the last opportunity I'll have to spend with you on Saturday morning, maybe with some exceptions, because Max, you may get busy and say, Orion, come on along and help me, and uh, we'll be happy to do that and certainly work together. But uh, you mentioned the advertisers who make it possible for us to do what we do here on WGN Radio, and you're right, can't thank them enough. And I can't thank you enough, because when I first heard your voice, Max, (laughs) I said to Lottie, our secretary producer for 34 years, I said, Lottie, I said, if we ever need an associate, here in WGN's farm department, I said, I want to talk to that guy because I like <laughs> his voice and I like his delivery. And did you have any dreams about being at WGN? Because I certainly didn't. Absolutely. I, it, it was a fulfillment of a childhood dream. As a, as a boy in grade school, sitting at the old farmhouse in southern Indiana, I wanted to be on the radio. I would sit in the closet and play radio. Which had to be very concerning to my parents who wondered, what, what's going on here? What's he doing in there? And I played radio in the closet at the age of seven or eight years old. And uh, I've just uh, been uh, so privileged to be a part of a long chain of great farm broadcast voices in Chicago. Think about the people that have, uh, have been a part. And, you know, in preceding me with you at WGN were John Omberg and Bill Mason. And uh, we had a few others in between who would fill in for us from time to time. And as a matter of fact, when after two weeks of trying to convince you to make the move from Bloomington Normal to WGN in Chicago, I finally had to talk to your boss by telephone and say, you've got to talk to this guy because he's he wants to be a fireman in Bloomington Normal and I want him here in Chicago. So it well. took you a while, didn't it? No, it was just a great opportunity. I I didn't hesitate much. And you think of the other people who talked about agriculture through the years from the Chicago market. Of course, there was Captain Stubby and Charles Homer Bill who were on up the dial at WLS. They were the, the ones who turned out the lights on farm programming at WLS back in the early 60s when the rock and roll took over. And I got to meet Captain Stubby's daughter, Connie, who lives in the Chicago area. I met her back in the summer when I emceed the 100th anniversary event for the American Soybean Association down in Indiana. So just a lot of great voices uh, on this station and others that handled agriculture through the years. And coverage of the market, some of that was handled by other people, as I recall, Lorian. Remember when we had reports coming from the livestock markets? We had a broadcast, yeah, a broadcast yeah. booth out there and two names 
Larry Kane and Bob Kuhn would come on every day at noon. That's why I've been told by more farm wives that they had been told to be quiet because of you and me, because uh, they'd want to hear what those market reports were and what cattle and hogs were bringing at the Union Stockyards in Chicago. And, you know, the many events that we had at the International Amphitheater and the International Livestock Show, uh, memories that will live with me forever and people that we met at those shows and that we still have the opportunity to see but man what a good time it was and after the closure of those markets of course we had reports from both peoria and joliet as those markets uh, came into their own bob poppleton reported from peoria les leach was a voice we heard from peoria pete hatfield from out at the joliet market out along i-55 back in those days so many folks helped us uh, carry the water i guess you would say Indeed they did, and they were an important part of the noon hour for farmers and ranchers throughout our listening area, and uh, what a pleasure it was to be able to uh, share with them the information. As a matter of fact, when I started at midnight, we would carry the arrivals of cattle and hogs at the stockyards. We would carry those numbers at midnight Supposedly, so that farmers and livestock producers who had animals to sell, if they liked what they heard in the size of the animals coming to town, uh, would still have time to get up and maybe load some hogs or cattle and get them into the stockyards. Well, I know some of those producers, too, love to have their names mentioned. As, as they were hauling in cattle, somebody reporting from the... The uh, Chicago stockyards would say, well, so-and-so brought in a car lot from uh, Makoka to Iowa. And uh, that was that was kind of a badge of honor, wasn't it, to, to have your load mentioned on the radio? It certainly was. And then the, the uh, producers, particularly in Iowa and western Illinois, would organize trainloads of cattle to come in. So I remember that we would mention Scott County, Iowa, has a trainload of cattle in for the trade today. And that attracted a lot of attention. And uh, some of the people we met at the stockyards, at the International, uh, Colonel Roy Johnson, who always auctioned off the grand champions. I remember meeting Dizzy Dean at the livestock show, who was a star one year, and Roy Rogers, Dale Evans, some big names in the world of music would come in to entertain at the livestock show. And uh, the horses and the cattle, of course, were always attractions, but my, what good times we had. You know, I also recall the many prominent leaders in agriculture that have come out of the Chicago region. You know, I've often thought of this area within a 150-mile radius of Chicago as having some of the most uh, productive soils on the planet. But there has also been the development of leadership. And we talked about this some with the Illinois Ag Leadership Program last week, visiting with, with Joyce about that. But w there were other people before the Ag Leadership Program. And you think of some of these counties... Under the coverage of our signal, Orion, you think of DeKalb County, Illinois, McHenry County, Grundy County, Porter County, Indiana, LaPorte County. There were many prominent leaders who went on to lead the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the National Corn Growers Association, the American Soybean Association, providing great leadership at the American Farm Bureau Federation. And that leadership came, much of it, out of this region and, and I'm going to go out on a limb here just a little bit. I'm going to say that the leadership 
that was communicated through the radio by you, Orion, and uh, and maybe the guy that came along here in the past few years, but maybe my predecessors, Mason and Omberg, you communicated that feeling, that uh, excitement about this ag industry and the need to have that leadership. And even before the Illinois Ag Leadership Program was out there, I think these leaders were coming along in part because there was Samuelson on the radio. Well, because we got it started with a grant from the W.K. Kellogg Company that provided the fund money for the Ag Leadership Foundation, which was already alive in other states. California particularly was active in it. And then uh, we've had some great leadership uh, move into Illinois uh, after Joyce Watson got the program established. Uh, we're just blessed with good leadership. And the thing I like about the foundation is that it builds leadership where we may not have found it without the Ag Leadership Foundation. Well, we've got more to talk about here on the Saturday morning show, and we're going to continue sharing with you some memories and some of the market activity. And, uh, oh, I'll do one more Samuelson says, so you have to put up with me and my opinions that you... I'm, I'm still surprised at the number of people who say, well, I know who you voted for for president because of the way you talk. I can always tell. And I don't think I talk differently when I talk about the candidates or the... Uh, people who succeeded so uh, we'll be back uh, to talk markets when we continue here on the saturday morning show we are at 25 minutes before six o'clock here on the saturday morning show my backyard thermometer in huntley illinois says 18 degrees so it's kind of a chilly morning but it's going to be a busy football day across the country and a lot of other activity the college basketball season finally underway because of the postponements with the COVID-19 situation but uh, we're going to cover a lot of sports activity today here on WGN Radio and again thank you for coming along as you have for 60 years for yours truly and a week from today i'll pretty well be wrapping up the 60 years of broadcasting on wgn radio but believe me i have thoroughly enjoyed your company all these years at all of the events we've covered uh, live and uh, from Europe and from other countries as we've traveled the world. I've had the opportunity to uh, visit 44 countries on this planet to take a look at agriculture and how differently farmers in other parts of the world do their food production work. And when you compare it to how we do it here in the United States, we really have paved the way for the technology, the research, and the leadership that Max mentioned earlier that we've covered on our WGN broadcasts and uh, the naming of farmers who brought cattle and hogs into the Chicago Union stockyards and the many people we've had the opportunity to meet there. Great career and one that I've enjoyed thoroughly. And, yeah, people say, well, what are you going to do? And I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I certainly will not stop talking about agriculture and sharing it with my neighbors, my 
the church members that I go to church with, the Shepherd of the Prairie Lutheran Church here in Huntley, Illinois, uh, just a, a lot of things to keep busy, and certainly we will do that. But right now it's time for Samuelson Says, an uh, opportunity to again share or inflict upon you my beliefs on many issues that take place, but I will never tell you who I vote for in elections, and you can't tell by the way I talk. I'm sorry. Those of you who say, oh, I know who you voted for, or I know what issue you uh, were on, which side, and... uh, no, I don't talk differently when I talk politics or issues that we have to deal with. And uh, so, no, and I'll never tell you who I vote for. That's between you and me and uh, the winner or the loser here at uh, 22 minutes before 6 o'clock. And uh, we'll be back to Max Armstrong to talk the uh, market prices and so on, but let me just share with you a couple of items on Samuelson Says, because uh, this will be the last day, the last week that I do Samuelson Says. Thank you for those of you who agree with me. Thank you to those of you who disagree with me. At least I hope I can stimulate some thinking as we move forward to deal with the COVID-19. And I note that on Thursday, Christmas Day, the coronavirus deaths in the United States rose by 2,810 people. Total number of deaths from the COVID-19 situation now at 329,143 in the U.S. And uh, they keep going up. And so do what you can to follow the rules on how we deal with curbing the spread of this pandemic, unlike any we have ever experienced before. And on Samuelson Says, I will ask you to do two things. Keep talking about agriculture and food production in the United States and the world. Keep appreciating what farmers and ranchers and their families do in producing what you and I need. As I've said so many times, agriculture, the farmers and the ranchers and the food producers who make sure that we have what we need from the standpoint of food on the dinner table, clothes on our back, a roof over our heads, thanks to the timber industry, and the opportunity to share that production with the world. We do that, and we need to remember that not only what we need nutritionally, but economically, the important role that agriculture plays in the economy of the United States and the world. Believe me, you have an impact on everybody's life here on the planet. So thank you for the opportunity to talk about that production of food and agricultural products and keep on keeping on and keep on learning as much as you can because it gets more complicated every time uh, we add a new uh, 
program to our production here in the United States and the world. And uh, so keep talking about it, keep learning about it, and keep sharing it with people around the world. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. Nineteen minutes before six o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, and we'll continue with our information this Saturday morning here on WGN Radio. What a market we had leading into the holiday season. Max, I'm going to let you talk about it because uh, we've seen a pretty good rally in grains and in livestock. So uh, here's Max to look at the markets. You know, I've been asked several times in recent weeks, Ori, and uh, what kind of a year was it for farmers? And I've pointed out that it's highly variable. It depends on the segment of agriculture you're looking at. And, uh, you know, some of the folks in the livestock sector were badly battered this year. It was hard on them. Uh, some of the folks in agritourism thought they were going to get clobbered. Many of them had the best year they've ever had, especially if they were in close proximity to the uh, metropolitan areas like Chicago, because they were not only selling the produce, they were selling the experience. And then there was the grain market. Dog got it for probably eight months of the year. The first eight months, it looked bad. I mean, prices were just under pressure. Lackluster markets through the spring and on into the early summer. You know, we got the crop planted and there wasn't any concern. And then came mid-August. And you remember the 10th of August was when that derecho storm swept down through the state of Iowa, roughly in the area from U.S. 20 on the north to Interstate 80 on the south, shoved that crop down, made people concerned about the crop production this year, and the rally continued. There was that buying that came in, exports uh, reported on a regular basis, and uh, the futures rallied, and they continued to climbing right on through the harvest. And then coming into this month, there were many traders saying, all right, well, this is this has been more than we can expect here. We're going to see some profit-taking. I think it was a week ago, uh, last Sunday night, I was reading some commentary from uh, an analyst in Iowa, and he said, well, that's it. Uh, we're going to see a turnaround here. Uh, you better get ready to see these prices falling. And guess what? He was wrong, uh, as we've seen prices Continuing to move up. The corn market ended higher this week. Uh, March corn settled at 4.51, May 4.51 and three quarters. And now we'll see the resumption of the trade after this holiday shortened week. The resumption of the trade tomorrow night, Sunday night trade into Monday morning. And, uh, traders are wondering. I mean, and next week will be holiday abbreviated too. We should point that out as markets will be closed on Friday for New Year's Day. But, you look at the gains that have come about in the corn market as technically the market have made new contract highs with that late surge this week. It made a year and a half high on a front month basis. And for the week, we've seen gains led by the nearby months in corn. March futures up 14 cents on the week, July of 11, December corn gaining about 6 cents. Soybeans are keeping an eye on South America by all means, watching that South American weather. But soybean futures certainly climbed. My, my, look at the rally we've seen there. Beans were up another four to five cents in the nearby months to end the week. Uh, with that uh, March contract, 1263.5, May at 1264.5. And the concern about ending stocks that could be well below 200 million bushels as they watch the uncertainty in South America. Now, some of that is weather related, but some of it has been related also to labor. And there was that strike, and I made the comment on Twitter this week, 
How many winters have we seen where there hasn't been some kind of a strike in South America that has been a concern of the grain market? And I, I didn't mean to come off like a smart aleck when I made the comment, but in reality, it's a very frequent occurrence. In fact, I was in Argentina oh, about 20 years ago, and there was a strike in the streets, and uh, we got caught up, and it carried down the street by a very noisy and raucous uh, uh, strike. Uh, I think they were port workers at the time, as was the case this week, I believe, on uh, the effect of the Argentine exports. And the feeling is uh, that the workers will be continuing that strike. I haven't heard the latest here going into the weekend, but if that continues, that could continue to hamper the exports of soybeans out of Argentina. Brazil is at a classic La Nina pattern, they say, that will continue to keep the growing areas supplied with moisture, but now some areas, you know, have had a little bit of a shortage too there. So there is concern about moisture there and rain and thunderstorms maybe not being as significant as they'd like for them to be over in Argentina. And then there's the wheat market. We need to talk about wheat and the concerns of drought there. And part of that centers in the central plains of the U.S. You know, the dryness remains pervasive right across the plains and into the western corn belt. And that showed up on the drought monitor again this week. A portion of the Midwest that is normally dry is about 42%. I'm sorry, that's abnormally dry. 42% of the Midwest. And that was up from 39.5% the week before. If you look into the high plains, 96% abnormally dry, steady with the prior week. Texas, 91% abnormally dry. So that is a continued concern if there's not moisture coming into those wheat fields of the soft red wetter wheat. In the Plain States, the wheat futures ended the week mixed. March wheat settled at 627 a bushel, May at 625 and three quarters. And so now, uh, what's going to happen now? I was reading some of the commentary uh, from Matt Bennett. He's with agmarket.net. And uh, Matt also farms down near Windsor, Illinois. He's widely followed in the social media. He said, I've been looking at the technical as well as fundamental setup. It seems the rally isn't quite over. With solid demand for both corn and soybeans, both domestically and on the world export market, supply disruptions could be met with serious buying. How high could the markets go in the next couple of months? Well, Matt answers his own question saying it's anybody's guess, but he says a run to $14 on soybeans, $14 or more, isn't out of the question. And he says from his vantage point, corn should rally another 50 cents a bushel if we were to see soybeans going up to $14 or more. And so producers are being urged there, yes, to take a very close look at this. Uh, you know, some haven't sold that 2020 crop yet. And uh, you know, that comes into question, you know, do you start to protect yourself? Make sure you protect yourself from a downside risk there. But to come back to the initial point, what kind of a year was it for growers? It was a surprisingly good year for many of the grain producers because there were also government payments that came from the continuation of the trade war and also because of COVID-19. I think there was one trade war payment early in the year, three COVID-19 payments. Then, of course, you had payments under the regular farm bill, a more significant portion of farm income for the grain producers this year, significantly more coming from the non-production of the crops coming from Uncle Sam. Will that continue in the future? I think it's highly unlikely. This was a very unusual year, and farmers are being advised to, in the waning days of this year, talk with their accountant about what they need to do in terms of perhaps uh, uh, making the most 
of this income and spending or uh, paying off debt as they need to here in the waning days of 2020, Orion? Well, as you said, it won't last forever. As a matter of fact, I think the headline in the Illinois Farm Bureau News this week was 2020, a record year for government farm payments to agricultural producers. And always keep that in mind because the one thing I got tired of hearing all of these years was, well, I put the price in and so when it hit it, I would call them and say, congratulations, you got your price. Uh, well, no, I didn't sell because I know it's going to go higher. And, uh, and I quit predicting markets decades ago because markets, whether it's Wall Street, Board of Trade, Mercantile Exchange, the minute you predict is the minute something will happen. But it's a reason for you and I to keep talking about agriculture, Max. <laughs> well, I would certainly also point out quickly, Orion, that you brought to many farmers a market awareness they wouldn't have had otherwise. You had them thinking about the need to manage their risk in the futures markets. And uh, that, that was to your credit. You know, you covered the futures markets so extensively. And you were a member of the board of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I know at one time I served for a short time on the Mid-America Commodity Exchange. But we knew the importance of these futures markets, and we gave those markets attention. And a pleasure to work with you, my friend. But I guess uh, the old saying, our time is just about gone, is here with us again. But uh, thank you for your years. How many is it, Max? It has been 34. 34. And the day you came Does to sound work. sound right? Has it been 34? I think so, yeah. Like yeah. And the day you came to work, I said, okay, Max, it's yours because I have a trip I have to make. And I, I took off and left you on the first day of a new job to do yeah. your work. You know, I was wrong, Orion. It was 43 years. My, my time flies. Oh, you just twisted the numbers around from 30. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's right. You have to excuse me. I'm on drugs. I had shoulder surgery a couple of days. Oh, that's right. I didn't ask you. Did your shoulder <laughs> surgery go okay? It's the only time I've ever been on WGN on drugs, Orion, and I'll never do it again. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for joining us here on this Saturday morning, and keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Thank you, sir. Take care of yourself. Will do. Life is waiting. Indeed it is. Five minutes before six o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. And uh, I'll be with you uh, next week. But a week from today will be my last day of doing agricultural broadcasts on WGN Radio. I really have a ton of people to say thank you to. First of all, my wife, Gloria who has seen me through some interesting health challenges four different times during the past 20 years. But thanks to Gloria, she puts up with them, and she runs the shop, and she runs it effectively. Thanks to Lottie Kearns, who uh, was the secretary and producer for the WGN Farm Department for 34 years. And uh, thanks to... uh, Bob Ferguson, who spins the dials that have to be spun here on the Saturday morning show. And uh, thanks to Bob for all the work he does for keeping me on the straight and narrow. If that's possible, I'm not sure. But we'll be talking to you all next week. But again, keep in mind, as Max mentioned earlier this morning, the markets will close early again this week. 
They'll close early on the day of New Year's Eve, and then, of course, they'll be closed on New Year's Day. So that means from noon Thursday until a week from Monday, uh, the markets will be uh, shut down because of the holiday season. Then finally, we'll get back to a normal schedule of markets and activity and hopefully make progress on the uh, coronavirus situation. And for those of you who may have been traveling uh, or planning to travel to the United Kingdom, we have some rules again on visitors coming into the United States from the United Kingdom. You better check your airline schedules and check on uh, who will be operating and who won't be operating because that will have an impact probably on market prices as we end this week and this year's activity in the marketplace. But to all of you, thank you for your steady support throughout the years for helping me learn and for helping me share and for hopefully raising the uh, level of knowledge about food production and all of the other activities that agriculture is involved in. So uh, next week we'll be here, and then a week from today we'll say, well, never say goodbye, because I forget which program it was on the radio for years that said, we say so long, not goodbye. So we'll do that a week from today. And uh, the uh, note uh, that I've made all through my career as one of the biggest, if not the biggest, change in agriculture. When I started in this business, agriculture was indeed important, but that importance wasn't understood all that much. And so uh, keep spreading the knowledge whenever you have an opportunity, whether it's a church, whether it's a, a social function, or whether it's in the marketplace. Uh, keep talking about what farmers and ranchers and food producers do for everyone in this country and in the world. As I mentioned earlier, this job has let me travel to 44 countries to take a first-hand look at agriculture and to try to interpret what they're doing in China, what they're doing in the European community, and what they're doing in South America because change is happening all the time in the technology in the volume of food that our farmers in this country are able to produce and provide to you and me. But again, thanks to the farmers and ranchers and food producers for everything that they do. And let's keep on saying thank you to those farm families.